I'm Chris Motes, and this is Faith in Politics. On this broadcast, we range from the soul to the state as we cultivate those virtues and explore those principles that help us live well as faithful citizens in this great land. Hey, we're back for another episode, folks. Thank you for joining us once again. I am broadcasting from the great state of South Dakota, where under God, the people rule. I'm joined this week by Jessica Kramer. Jessica uh, hails from Cleveland, Ohio, originally, uh, the heartland. She's now a freelance video host with MRCTV and writer currently living in the greater Washington, D.C. area. She's a graduate of Liberty University, a Catholic convert. You can find more of her writing at a variety of great places online, The American Conservative, The Federalist, The Washington Examiner, and she's got a budding YouTube channel. Welcome to the show, Jessica. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm, I'm delighted that you've uh, just taken the time to join us. You, you wrote, and the, the purpose for having you on is you, uh, I, uh, a piece you wrote recently is published at a, a Catholic uh, publication, Crisis Magazine, which is founded by I think uh, Michael Novak in the back in the eighties. Um, many of the listeners will will maybe know Michael's work. Um, uh, a great sort of expositor of of the church's social teaching. Um, we actually got a book club. If anybody's interested, we're going to be reading one of uh, Dr. Novak's uh, books, Social Justice Isn't What You Think It Is, uh, this fall in the book club. Reach out, send you info on that. But Jessica, your article was titled, and this is what caught my eye, The Political Path Forward, Get Married and Have Kids. That's what we're going to be talking about today. But, but before we launch into that, I want to ask you a question, if I can, that I've been asking a number of uh, recent guests. And I think you're going to maybe have a different answer because as I just shared briefly, you're, you're a convert to the faith. And the question is simply this, Jessica Kramer, why are you a Catholic? I think GK Chesterton uh, put it correct when he said, ultimately, because it's true. Uh, so my faith journey, it's a long story, but if I give like condensed version of it, ultimately a Protestant documentary about birth control ultimately convinced me of the truth of the Catholic Church. And what I mean by that is the documentary, it's called The Birth Control Movie, and it argues from, a pro, from, from many Protestant theologians, a church history argument, basically expressing why all Protestants, all Christians should be against birth control because we all were until 1930. Right. And so they lay out the argument of how scripture used to be interpreted, how all Christians agreed with this for 1900 years, and ultimately that the Anglicans broke away and then everybody soon followed after. And so when I was doing some history, um, when I was reading some history, I ultimately discovered that the Catholic Church is the only remaining institution against contraception. Um, so there had to be something true about it. And I had never really considered church history before as a Protestant. And so when I started using that principle of if Christians thought something for X amount of years, especially when it's over a thousand years, the earliest Christians were against it. Um, why would I then see that that new innovation or that new in idea as truth? And so I kind of reevaluated every other piece of doctrine um, by using that, that concept that I had never really considered before. That's beautiful. And I think we could like do a whole show just on that, the Lambeth conference and, and sort of the last hundred years, um, which is, yes. you know, and that actually, I mean, I think that could be bound up in our, in our topic today too, which is politics and the family. Um, so I, I don't know, maybe we'll have to, to come back to that one in the future. It's a, it's a great, um, and actually, so we have had another, at least one of the guests say that ex almost word for word because it's true. 
Um, oh, which, you know, part of my own testimony is it, it's kind of mixed, but that's, that's certainly part of it too. So thanks for sharing that. One other question, if I can ask you, you know, um, is I know it's not polite for men to ask women their age. I'm not going to ask you, but you, you strike me as a young, a younger person and you're, you're kind of involved in media, you know, you do some video stuff, you're a writer, you, you're, I don't know if you would describe yourself as a journalist or a writer, but can I, can I ask you what drew you to writing to media to, to journalism honestly i had never in college i was not after pursuing this um i was very passionate about film and so i had done a film internship after i graduated high school i thought i was going to skip college altogether i ended up being a cast driver for an independent film in cleveland never saw the set never really got to experience the process of movie making and it was during the 2012 election. So I ended up spending most of my time on set arguing politics with people. And so I ended up deciding the Lord's probably redirecting me to a, a passion of mine, which has always been politics. So I looked at schools, um, found Liberty University and studied government politics and policy, ended up interning for um, pre um, presidential candidate Rand Paul. When he ended up leaving the race, I was kind of at a loss of what to do after I graduated. So I kind of fluttered for a while. Um, pursued a few avenues of, of areas of interest and passion of mine, um, but ultimately it wasn't a very marketable uh, industry at that time or even now. And so there was an opportunity to use some skills that I had. I had written for my school newspaper and I ended up finding a fellowship with the Daily Caller. I really liked Tucker Carlson um, and ended up joining them and coming to DC three years ago. And I, I wasn't very good at news writing, but I, I wanted to do more opinion, um, but I ended up getting thrown into video. And so being able to work with them for a year and do video kind of opened up, you know, a, a possibility of what I'm doing now and also opened up freelance opinion writing. So that's kind of, I kind of fell into it. It's something that I, I figured, you know what, I have a little bit of skills. Maybe I can hone in on those, improve a little bit, but it wasn't something that I, that I went out to pursue after I graduated. Well, I think, I think it's a great, a great career choice. I remember very vividly, I was just getting out of the service in 2010 and one of my little sisters uh, took me to, she was in college. She took me along to this focus conference. Oh. A lot of the listeners are going to know focus and Archbishop Charles Shippey had just published this book at the time, render unto Caesar. It was a great book. It really inspired me, but I remember him saying in this talk that we've got these, really three big institutions in society that just need healing and restoration. Um, academia, the university, politics, and then he mentioned journalism too. Uh, mm -hmm. Journalism, media. So I just think it's super inspiring to see, um, you know, faithful Christians, well-formed Catholics, just going after it in that space. So bravo for that. Okay, let's talk, let's talk a little bit about this article. Uh, the political path forward, get married and have kids. I love that. Uh, you were doing a little reporting um, from the Intercollegiate Studies Institute's conference. It was held a couple of weeks ago in Alexandria, Virginia, ISI. Um, it's an institute they kind of, I think they would describe themselves as conservative as I've read some of their, um, their journal, like what is it called? Uh, it's, you know, it's like Western civilization kind of stuff. Um, great, so a great place to be, great for uh, talks to be listening to. But, you know, this is, you're, so you're reporting on this and you're saying this is the political path for it. Get married and have kids. Can you, this maybe would strike some listeners as like, well, what does that have to do with politics? Why is this the political path, Jessica? Oh, man. Um, I would say because the, the family is the basis of society. And so when you're not having families, I mean, your society 
is a very unhealthy society um, if, you're, if your birth rate is massively declining like ours is. Yeah. And I think what I noticed at this conference overall is that old conservative politics is out and this more exciting integralism um, influenced by Catholic social teaching and thought is definitely more in. Um, I think Trump opened up a whole window for new conservatives to kind of break free um, and get their voices and, and thoughts out there. And that's what I saw at this conference. Ultimately, keynote speaker J.D. Vance talked about this. Um, many panelists talked about this. This was the theme that I, that I really saw there. So a quick aside, just because you meant use the word integralism, did you see Ross Douthat? He had this piece in the most recent first things with the taxonomy of sort of he's categorizing the, the emergence of, of some of these new streams of thought. And he mentions integralism, he mentions populism. So maybe that's a, that's a great one too. We can unpack that over the course of, a, of, a, of another talk. But so when you say this is a political path forward, I mean, I think a lot of times people are maybe putting politics in we think partisanship, but you mean politics in the sense of the ordering of our life together, the basis yeah. of society, which is, which is a really important, uh, wonderful, beautiful place to start. One of the things you point out in your article is that we're seeing simultaneously, just trends over time, uh, an inverse relationship between GDP and the birth rate, uh, which you already alluded to. So GDP is going up, we're, we're getting richer, birth rates going down, we're having less kids. What, what can we learn from this? Like, what's going on here? I just think that there's, um, there's an emphasis on consumerism and consumption and production. And um, I think you see a lot of this in how we educate our kids. I know that when I was going through school, everything is all about your career. You know, what you're going to do, how you're going to contribute to society, how you're going to change the world. There's really no emphasis. There's a lot of emphasis on profession. There's very little emphasis on vocation, who you're going to be, you know, what kind of wife, what kind of husband, what kind of mother, what kind of father. That's really kind of seen as more of an accessory in your life, as if it's just going to happen and magically appear. Um, no one's prepared for it. No one is, is truly seeking it. And so I, I think, like, our economy shows you we all are meant to be cogs in the machine, yeah. pump out as much work and productivity as we can. Um, I think you see that with the push for two income households. Um, I don't think it's a balanced economy and I don't think it, it, I don't think it helps us live a balanced life and have family as first and foremost in our lives. I think our job is, is, is meant to come first the way that we look at our economy and, our, and look at our country as a whole. So, so would you, I mean, in your view, are there some structural elements to the way in which our society and our law are ordered, like the, the building blocks of our politics and law? Are there some structural components that foster this sort of systemic um, oppression, if I can use the word, of a well-ordered life, you know, that, that foster this consumerism? Um, I definitely think, I mean, I, I wrote about this in the piece. Um, ultimately, laws are not going to change hearts, but I think mm -hmm. that they do, they change behavior and they limit behavior. And I think that by having really lax laws when it comes to the realm of sex, as I mentioned in my article, um, does not help us sustain a marriage culture. And we don't have that. The millennial generation is the least likely, or maybe not least likely, but on the massive decline of not having children and not pairing off and getting married. Um, 
Now, our parents, Gen X, baby boomers, post they were post-sexual revolution, but they still got married and had kids at higher rates than we are. So there's yeah. something off right now with what, our generation. What I mean, what do you think that, I mean, just speaking to this younger generation, which I think, and this, this, I think this is always the case, that the generations are mystified by one another. We don't always get one another. But I, maybe just from your vantage point, you know, what, what is it that the younger generation is looking for in politics? Uh, what do they long for in life? Is it, does it really just come down to like they're, they're super shallow and they just want stuff? Or are there some deeper things that you see there that they, they do desire, but they're just not getting? Um, one thing that I thought was really remarkable at the conference was there was a young gentleman who was a student. He came up to the microphone. His point was, we have conservatives have lost every institution in society. We've lost the academy. We've lost entertainment and the arts. We've lost universities. Um, we've lost media. We've lost um, really every realm except politics. And the more libertarian candidates or um, the more libertarian speakers on the stage were saying, well, how's that working out for you? And he was like, well, we actually felt like we were getting somewhere with Trump. We actually felt like we had a fighter that was pushing back against the elite and the establishment and the party, but also in the media, um, they had a voice. And so really, I think politics is our only way forward at this point, obviously having, having families because the left isn't having families as much, but um, there's really very few realms that we can have influence over at this point. You know, um, J.D. Vance was at the conference. J.D. Vance made the news uh, recently when he pointed out that um, many of the leaders, they're kind of coming at politics from the left. Uh, well, uh, the people he, he talked about were all members of the Democratic Party. So like Cory Booker, uh, Kamala Harris, he, he says they don't have kids. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is um, how kind of sad, but where's the investment there? And J.D., I, uh, I think you reported that at the conference, J.D., talked a little bit about um, some of his policy prescriptions kind of focused around uh, shoring up, not shoring up, um, that, that would be like giving him more credit than, but restoring, protecting in law. What, what were some of the policy prescriptions that uh, JD talked about? JD's emphasis was really more so focused on people want to have the American dream, not in terms of, of massive prosperity, but more so am I raising my kids in a good environment? And right now people don't think that their kids are going to have a better life than even they did. Yeah. Um, some of the things that I talked about with him, cause he was talking about getting married and having kids. Um, I said, well, what about porn? What about birth control? What about these like obvious things in society that are not helping people get married and have kids, but only perpetuating um, a very like relaxed sexual culture. Um, and he immediately said, he's like, I think we should ban porn. He's, he said that there's something wrong when little children are growing up viewing the opposite sex through the lens of what porn is showing them in terms of what sex is, what the other person is, what they are being enslaved to this for years, not knowing how to relate to the opposite sex. Like he sees that as a massive problem and he obviously wants to ban it. Um, and he's very pro-life. And so, you know, as an, as a fellow Catholic convert, um, he might not be as extreme maybe as what I would propose, which is like banning birth control. But I do think that he's more in that camp than other Republicans that we've seen. Yeah. And, and just for listeners that are shocked by your admission that you would ban birth control. Um, <laughs> it was prior, banned at one point in American history. So. Prior to Griswold v. Connecticut, 
1956 or whatever it was, um, it was unlawful. Well, Griswold, I think the case had to do with um, it's an unmarried couple, but there were different laws. No, married, married couples. Married couples. Thank you. Thank you. And I mean, what, what, what's so striking about Griswold too, and this, this will shock pro-lifers is Griswold lays the foundation for our modern pro-abortion jurisprudence uh, without question. Um, so it, again, that's a, that's a huge topic. We can talk about and, that more. Um, and actually, of, um, it was a Protestant that the Comstock laws, Anthony Comstock was, he was, you know, on this like crusade for purity in America. And uh, it was his laws about a hundred years prior to that, that had banned it in the first place, also obscenity and abortion. So yeah. So Protestants used to, this used to be their site too. And there's, you know, God bless them. Uh, I was actually just visiting with a, a Protestant pastor in another state and we were talking about, um, IVF and surrogacy, and he made this very biblical point that I just, uh, it really cut me uh, to the heart. He said, it defiles the marriage bed, a godly, godly thing to say. So yeah, there, I think there's still a lot of unity in the future for Christians in this topic, yeah. God willing. I know the Lord desires it. Um, one of, you know, JD bringing up this topic, which I think is a great thing to talk about. Um, and in various states, I know different like family policy councils and Catholic conferences, they've tried things at the state level, you know, resolutions pointing out the public health, because there, I mean, there's a public health uh, component to pornography addiction where, where principally, but not exclusively men are enslaved to it. You know, it's, it's often bound up with sex traffic and so forth, but, but uh, people will push back and say, well, what about this for the first amendment? Don't they have a right? If, if I'm not mistaken, JD is a lawyer, right? It's, yeah. Well, you went, you went to law school. Yeah. yeah. And you went to like, I don't know. I think you went to like Yale or Harvard. Yeah. Not a, <laughs> so um, presumably the first amendment doesn't protect uh, obscenity like that. So great, great idea. Did, did he have any uh, other ideas he raised or was pornography kind of the, the main one? Oh, he was, um, he also mentioned in his speech, getting back to an economy where, where you could raise a family on one income. Um, I know that there's another Arizona, I think Senate candidate, young man, who's also saying that and getting bashed for it by obviously all the feminists. So, um, as far as other particulars, I'd have to look back at his speech, sure. but um, those were the ones that really caught my eye and were the, the purview no, of the article. Those are great. And I know JD has pointed out to some of the data, which is actually families, you know, working class families, um, they view they view this as like a great luxury that they can't afford. They wish they could afford exactly. to have a parent at home. Exactly. Um, uh, and it's something we've mentioned on the show before, but Gaudium at Spes really, really holds up in high esteem mothers uh, who choose to stay home with their kids. Beautiful thing. One of the things you say in your article is that uh, sort of this lack of family formation, um, that it's, it's not the problem, it's the solution, which is a, a striking uh, turn of a phrase. It's, it is a problem in a certain sense, but to solve the problem, we just have to do it, right? Yeah. Helen Andrews, you talk about her in your piece and she points out it's sort of one of the roadblocks is that is that people have kind of a lack of family formation in the first place what what would you offer for those who maybe did uh, you know they grew up in a broken broken home no fault of their own they love their parents i'm sure their parents love them or you know for whatever reason didn't receive solid formation and sort of how to do this maybe even how to date how to court um, what, what would you offer? Oh gosh. I mean, well, I mean, I say in the piece, I, I don't have the answer to this. I have lots of friends who are products of a divorced family. Um, 
they're going to counseling. They're, they're getting the healing so that they're not carrying that with them um, into their relationships. So I think part of it is that we need to deal with our stuff. And I don't yeah. know if our generation is really good at that. Um, I think the phones are a great distraction and they make you feel like you're connected with people, even though you're super alone in real life. So probably stepping back from technology, getting plugged into real people in real places. Um, and honestly, like as, as a Catholic, I think there is an element of it's out of your control and that you really have to trust God to, to bring that person into your life because, you know, you can do as much as you can, but ultimately um, it's, it's yeah. a vocation and it's a gift. And so, you know, it's something that I think there has to be an element of providence to it. Well, and I really appreciate too that you mentioned, I mean, one of the first thing you mentioned is, is sort of healing. We got to deal with our own stuff. I think there's, um, you know, I'm kind of just thinking out loud now, but I think there's just like the spirit is moving in this way. There's a, a young woman, Emily Leadham, who is the new director of Catholic Family Services in Sioux Falls, you know, kind of a church um, counseling agency, really focused on this exact thing. People need healing, and it's actually what's going to, you know, restoring people is going to restore our, our, our social life, our culture, et cetera. Beautiful, beautiful point. Um, you know, one of the one of the other things that you point out, Jessica, and this is maybe another one of those things like, oh, golly, what do we do? Just trusting the Lord. But you mentioned a lack of men in the church. <laughs> yeah. What do you want to say um, to the young guys out there? Oh, gosh. Um, not attacking anybody, <laughs> for the record. Um, because honestly, I think it varies depending on parish and diocese. But overall, the ratio is totally skewed where there are more women than men. I think 33% of Catholic men attend mass regularly. So it's a, it's, it is a massive problem. Um, this is something that I actually talked about yesterday with, with a priest um, that I was interviewing for my YouTube channel. And I was asking, I was like, what are you guys doing to bring men back into the church? Are you, are you just waiting for women to kind of like drag them to mass? Um, and I know that there are efforts out there. And I actually think COVID is a huge blessing in this area because I know of a few men at least where that is what brought them back to mass and brought them back into the church. They're starting men's groups. They're getting more of their guy friends involved. So I think that there is really good fruit that we have yet to see from the whole COVID pandemic in that respect spiritually. Um, but I mean, I'm just, I want to encourage men, you know, like, like take your faith seriously because that is the greatest gift that you can give your future wife and your future children, because your future children are really going to be dependent on whether or not dad has a faith. That's yeah. what, that's what helps them sustain and keep their faith. It's really not the faith of the mother as statistics have shown us. Um, so it's, it's just massively important for the next generation of Catholics that there are good Catholic fathers raising them up. Yeah. It's a, uh, I think this focus on men is really important. I agree with you. And you know, if I can add my own commentaries to guys, sometimes things are hard. Um, but that's kind of like part of being a man is just like doing hard things. So yeah, maybe it's more enjoyable to, um, live a life of laxity, but, uh, you were made for that. You were made for something more. Um, can you maybe advice on that, on this point, uh, Jessica, any advice for those that are sort of further along in the journey? Maybe, you know, your younger married couples, my wife and I, uh, praise God, married 10 years this year. Um, or those, you know, even further ahead of us, what can we do uh, to support 
maybe it's young men bringing young men back into the church. Maybe it's, maybe it's young women, but what can we do that's um, helpful and I don't know, uh, finding this solution in, in helping people form families? Honestly, a setup because uh, there's one priest, this is what's so crazy. There's a priest at my parish right in our neighborhood. He wanted to set up some people in the parish, some young adults, and he had to end up setting up a speed dating event. And it was a lot of fun. And he's probably the only priest I know that's like actually doing that. And I told my friends back in Cleveland, and like all of the young adults were like, why aren't our priests doing that? Like, why, why isn't, like they're looking for someone to kind of put things in motion because I think everyone is just really stuck. Everyone's yeah. really afraid. Um, yeah. There's a lack of initiation. I think among men, I have some guy friends and they constantly talk about just being paralyzed by the fear of rejection. So yeah. I think people can kind of move things along. I think that's really helpful. And I think, I, I know that for me, if I, if I were a married couple, I'd be constantly trying to pair people off, not, not as a game, but just cause I genuinely would like to see, more young people um, together rather than alone. So. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I love that advice. Uh, parish all speed dating. Um, so for those priests that are tuning <laughs> in the podcast right now, parish all speed dating. Yeah. And you know, maybe we're in a little different environment here in South Dakota because we've got so many rural parishes and it's not quite the same, you know, vibrant yeah. young adult thing, but um, I don't know. Uh, any thoughts, this is a, just a, maybe a quick side note, any thoughts on like, you know, the online stuff, Catholic match, what's, what's the opinion of Jessica Kramer? Ooh, um, I know so many couples that had met that way. So I definitely think that it's a great option. I think the Lord can work in that. Um, I think it depends on like what you're inclined to. I know that for me, um, I'm open to it, but I'm not incredibly inclined to it. I think part of it is that it's so hard. It's so hard to get excited about somebody based on a profile. I think when you meet someone in person and you can feel their energy and see their mannerisms, I just think that's an easier way of telling whether or not you'd be interested. So I think, I think online dating, it makes it a little bit more impersonal. I know that some people like it because it's filtering out and weeding out a lot of things that you might not be looking for. But I also think that sometimes like the Lord works in those areas where like you might not have preferred it, but he can show you that it's not as much of a deal breaker as you might've thought. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things you mentioned earlier, as you were sort of just, um, talking about some of, I don't know, the, the, the present generation, and it's not just the present generation, but you mentioned, um, I think you mentioned phones and sort of, I don't know if you said put the phone away or get rid of it or need phones. Yeah. Say, say more about that. Um, my roommate and I actually have considered getting rid of our smartphone just because social media is just becoming a very depressing. Um, it's depressing how much time we waste on it. It's depressing in that, um, it makes everyone feel super low and, and competitive with like people that they don't even know. It makes you feel like you have friends, but you know, real friendship as Aristotle has, has said is the shared life. It's actually being in relationship and community with people. Um, and I think it made everyone really lazy. And so I know that my one priest, he had said one of the biggest mishaps that he sees in early dating stages is people are interpreting things wrongly through text message. And he's like, just get off the texting. He's like, call them, see them in person. He's like, there's too much miscommunication um, with texting. And so he always tells people, you know, get away from the phone. And so I think our generation relies too heavily on it. So I think 
one practice that I've made is when I'm going out with people and I'm in my neighborhood and I don't really like I'm not driving or I don't need an emergency phone, I'll leave my phone at home. Okay, I'm gonna, present with people. I'm going to pause you real quick. I want to keep talking about this, but if you're tuning okay. in on the radio, listening to Faith and Politics, I want to thank you for tuning in. If you want to listen to the rest of this conversation, you can go to your favorite podcast app, download the podcast, and just search for South Dakota Catholic Conference Faith and Politics. You'll find it. You can listen to the, listen to the rest of the conversation there. Uh, so to our radio friends, thanks for tuning in. Live well. And we'll see you next time. Okay, back to, I want to hear more about this, Jessica, because I, what, what you'll notice in People listening aren't gonna be able to see this. But what I'm holding up to you have a flip phone? the camera right now is this little flip phone, and I'm actually keeping time on our conversation on my stopwatch here. But um, that just made my day. <laughs> yeah. So I, I and this this conversation is taking a, a great twist. I love it. So I think I remember seeing the very first smartphone uh, that I that I saw in my life. It was maybe 2008 or 2009. One of the guys on the team I was working on had one. He just got one. I was like, what do you need that thing for? Well, to read the news. I was like, well, I got a newspaper. But then I got one a couple of years later. Um, and I've kind of been back and forth through the years. This is actually the second flip phone I've gone back to. Wow. Um, but I'm back for good now. And what I realized, well, here's what I'll tell you. So when I went back to the Verizon store to get this thing, they didn't have one out. They had to like go to the back to get it. Yeah. And I asked for it. And they brought it up and they're, they're ringing me out. And... And here's what the, the clerk said to me. Are you sure this is going to make you happy? Wow. And I was just like, that's actually the problem. Um, that's, uh, there's, um, sorry. I don't usually, I usually take, take it from my boss, but we're recording a conversation right now. <laughs> um, so, okay. I, I love that, Jessica. Anything else? I mean, we could talk. Uh, there's a lot to say about the phone stuff, but are there any other things that are just sort of like the, the ordinary stuff of our life in 2021 that you would encourage people to re-examine in order to add depth to their life and that might foster some of this communal interaction that ultimately is ordered towards a, a happy life together, you know, and family life being part of that. What else? Um Honestly, I'm everything I have to say, I've gotten from other people. So there was another priest who recently had given a talk um, at an event in our diocese, and he had said, your generation does not pray enough. And he said, a lot of your internal turmoil would be maybe not resolved, but lessened if you spent more time in, fr in front of the Blessed Sacrament or, or just in prayer with God. And I think when my prayer life is better, I'm better. And if I'm better, you know, I'm also being able to be better for other people. Yeah, that's great. I love it. It's um, and a, pr a priest friend of mine, too, that, you know, we, we hear about these things called holy hours, which when you're um, single, it's I, I just speaking from my own bachelorhood, it it um, you have a lot of time. You know, it's all yours. I, didn't, I remember being in a small group when I was engaged, but I had married and the guy, there was another guy in the small group who was like, he's kind of had a mentor, so it's 10 years ahead of me. And I remember sharing like, none of my time is mine. So it's, you know, as life goes on, you don't always have time for like a holy hour, but a priest friend of mine, he says, you know what? How about a holy half hour? You know, so I, I love that point. Any, any, other, um, any other prescriptions for us to, to reform our lives? No, but I would actually love to hear any of your advice. Oh, golly. Um, end of this. Hmm. You know, I was reading um, something online not long ago. I think it was Father Dwight Longnecker. He's one of these, you know, sort of priest blogger guys. Yeah. And he, 
he shared this phrase, he called it um, relocatio. I loved it. It's a, it's a made up Latin word. <laughs> relocatio means that you take proximity seriously and you order your life around God, physically speaking. Um, and you make your parish church the center of your life, not just in a metaphorical sense, but in a physical sense too. If it's, eh, you know, this is um, an encouragement. There's no hard and fast rules here, but just something to think about is um, how beautiful it is to, to, for you to say, pray. We need to pray more actually. And this is actually the beginning of better politics. Hey, back to the book club, just a brief plug again. This is another book we're going to be reading this fall, folks. You can reach out, Prayer is a Political Problem by uh, Cardinal Jean Danielou. So, uh, Jessica, maybe you want to join the book club. It's a Zoom book club. So I would love can to. It was actually recommended to me by uh, Sarab Armari. Um, okay, yeah. I was looking for a book recommendation, and he recommended that. So we're reading it in the book club this fall, folks. Um, but to actually, so, and the, it, the reason Relocatio jumped out at me is because this is something my wife and I received in kind of just through prayer and discernment when we moved four years ago back to uh, South Dakota for me, we literally lived down the block from our church. It's beautiful. It's great. I also happened to work right there, which is also, so when we were looking for a house, we were looking for a house uh, that, um, that we could walk to church and I could either walk or ride my bicycle to work, you know? So, and one of the beautiful things that has happened is when when the physical space of our life is ordered like that um all sorts of beautiful adventures uh unfold without you planning them you know we want to plan everything today so we go for a walk in the evening after supper right and we're walking around and we bump into people you know whether it's homeless people or whether it's the bishop of the diocese in which we live wow conversations ensue and sometimes like uh you know, sometimes we get stopped for like an hour talking to the priests at the rectory or whatever, you know, or, or somebody that just moved to the neighborhood, you know, whatever it may be. It's beautiful stuff. It's awesome. I love it. Um, so that's, you know, relocatio, something people could think about. Um, the other, here's up. This is a big one uh, for me. And people are going to be like, oh, no, <laughs> I knew you were like this and you never said it. Um, so the church is against murder, right? Actually, she's only against unjust killing. It's totally just to kill your television, murder it, you know, go drop it from the roof. Uh, and that's, I think that might be Peter Crafts the way he puts it. So that's totally not my image, murder your television. Um, but get rid of the TV. You know, what do you, as, yeah, as my father-in-law would say, don't you have some work to do? <laughs> good, good, uh, good German. Um, but there's so much other stuff of life. And there's, you know, there's nothing, nothing, there's nothing like intrinsically evil about television. Don't get me wrong. Like uh, enter- entertainment can be great and film and cinema. Yeah, it's all good stuff. But, you know, we live in a Twitter world and the, the, the medicine for a Twitter world, I happen to think is the world according to Chris Motz's books, read books. Mm. Um, Read books together, read them aloud. I don't know. Learn to play the piano. Um, if you can, buy a, buy a house with a fireplace in it and put a fire in it, you know? Ooh. So this is, yeah, I don't know. These, <laughs> these are just some little things from, from our life, but um, I don't know. So those are my two, my, my two tips. Relocatio, gear your TV. Mm, that's so, good stuff. Good stuff. Okay. Um, so Jessica, to wrap this up, can... Will you please share if people that are maybe interested in your YouTube 
channel and kind of checking out, you know, like this, you mentioned this recent conversation with the priest, they want to follow your stuff. How can they do that? Um, so just go to, if you type in um, my name, Jessica Kramer on YouTube, it should pop up. Okay. So, Jessica, Jessica Kramer with a K. Yes. And, um, and there's only three videos uploaded. So it's very, very new. I'm trying to do more with it. So. Okay. So you can, everybody knows what to do. Like follow, hit the little bell and um, hopefully writing more for crisis as well. Okay. So. Well, keep up the, keep up the great work. I thought this was a great piece and, uh, and really grateful to, to have you on the show today. Oh, I'm so honored. This was, this was very fun for me. Thank you. A lot of fun. Um, and thanks to you listeners for, for tuning in. Um, I kind of like mentioned this little book club thing a couple times. So we're going to be reading a few things. I'm gonna do a quick plug for it. So we're going to, uh, we're going to start out with, um, an anthology of Joseph paper. We're going to spend, we're going to, by the way, we're going to be meeting, um, weekly in the evenings via zoom. Um, the, the folks that are interested in this, that's kind of what worked best. So that's what we're going to do. So we're going to start out with an anthology of Joseph Pieper. One of his books, Leisure, the Basis of Culture, uh, is really life-changing for me. And this anthology published by Ignatius Press, go there, buy it now. Um, so you have it. We're going to start on September 1st. So just right around the corner. Uh, so, so buy the book and, and reach out to me and I'll tell you what you need to read for our first meeting. Following uh, Joseph, we're going to read Prayer as a Political Problem by... Uh, Cardinal Danilou, a great French Jesuit theologian. Um, following this, what are we reading? Oh no, before Prayer is a Political Problem, we're going to read Veritatis Splendor. We've wanted to read that for a while. We're going to read the whole thing together. Then Prayer is a Political Problem. Then we're going to read um, a collection of speeches by Alexander Solzhenitsyn, a uh, great sort of Russian writer, dissident, um, uh, expositor of human personhood and freedom. Um, five speeches of uh, for from him to the West, given in the United States and the United Kingdom, and then we're going to wrap it up with uh, Novak's work on social justice. So you can you can go to sdcatholicconference.org, click contact us, and I'll get you all the details. Thanks so much for tuning in. Until next time, live well.